Well, it's interesting because a lot are new to Canada. They're coming from many other countries. So it's actually an indoctrination into what's Canada's banking system. And it's usually quite different. And so the stuff that they might have, if they grew up in Canada, that they would have just learned along the way, they don't necessarily know. They don't know who are our big banks, how do the ways you go and get a bank account, credit cards, things like that. Um, but just thinking about all students, it's really about um, educating them about things that they care about. So here's the big question. Have you ever been so financially frustrated from years of poor financial decisions only to wonder, why didn't they teach me in school anything about how to manage money? I've spent the last 20 years learning the secrets to how money really works and how to use it to get financially free on a goal to retire early. I've realized how much of an impact we could have on the world by teaching financial literacy, entrepreneurship, and a successful mindset. Join me as I interview some of the world's most successful business owners, coaches, and parents to get them to share their secrets on how you can not only learn, but teach these lessons to your kids to become financially free and impact your children's financial trajectory so they can avoid the frustration and go on to do great things. I'm Cody Laughlin, and this is the Money Talkers Podcast. Welcome back to Money Talkers with your host, Cody Laughlin. I have a special guest here today. I have Tracy Bissett with me, who is on a mission to redefine the world's economic future by increasing the financial literacy of entrepreneurs, also known as financial fitness. She's out of her 20 years of experience in the financial services industry, and she helps entrepreneurs all across all industries, both on and offline. As the founder and president of Chief Financial Fitness Trainer at Visit uh, Financial Fitness Inc., Tracy helps her clients understand and improve their level of financial fitness with a goal of increased confidence using their financial skills so that they can be successful in their financial lives. I'm excited to have you here. Uh, because you're also a professor at Centennial College's student uh, or school of business and uh, regularly does speaking engagements on the subject. And so I'm excited to talk to you about, about uh, entrepreneurs, uh, financial fitness, but also about the college uh, school of business, where the mindset are of our young people. And so <laughs> I'm really excited about it. Thanks for coming on the show, Tracy. Oh, thank you so much, Cody. I'm, I'm really thrilled to be here. Well, let's go ahead and dive in. So um, how did you decide that you wanted to teach entrepreneurs financial fitness? Uh, so I, by background, I was a banker for almost 20 years in the areas of commercial lending and risk management. So I approved loans for companies, all different sizes, all across Canada. I'm in Toronto, uh, up in Canada. And um, at a certain point, my job was eliminated and I could either, either go back, find another job in another organization or decide to make something. Uh, so I decided I was going to take all of the things I like to do and make visit financial fitness. And so I've been super passionate about helping youth throughout my whole life learn about money. And I think that fundamentally your life is better the earlier you know about money. Um, and because of all the time um, and experience working with entrepreneurs, I wanted to keep that part. Um, so I 
have a podcast called Young Money, uh, the advice show for young millionaires in the making. So I, I teach and, and talk to my young adults over there and then um, work either one-on-one or in group programs with entrepreneurs uh, because it's, it doesn't take a lot to shift things around money and you can have um, so much more success with your goals and your life can dramatically improve, improve with uh, kind of some small consistent actions. It doesn't need to be some kind of life altering um, action that you take. Isn't it weird though that most people that I talk to, at least when they don't get started, is because they build it up to be some big like task to go after and not necessarily, like you just mentioned, like uh, it's a series of small tasks or small changes, right? And most mm-hmm. people are just like, I don't want to look at it because it's got to be these big changes. Like I can never have coffee again. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's so funny because um, a lot of people who don't look at their numbers or don't look at the financial side of their business, I mean, it's perfectly normal. Uh, when you go into entrepreneurship, you're super passionate and you excel at whatever your business is in, whatever the product or service is, and you probably haven't received any training in school about money. So you kind of think, well, I'll just leave that to the side or I'll delegate it to someone else and hopefully they'll take care of it. Um, but you've got to be accountable for the financial side of the business. So as you, um, I have a, I was a commercial banker as well for a few years, um, in the middle of being an entrepreneur. And then, so, uh, are you surprised at the lack of financial education or financial awareness? I wouldn't say education, financial awareness of, uh, of business owners. I'm not surprised anymore. I've accepted that it is a reality, Um, but I work with clients um, with sales kind of low six figures up to uh, low seven figures. So it does boggle my mind a little bit when somebody has a million or 2 million in sales and they're still not looking at the numbers. Um, And what I tell them is I think it's just creating more stress in your life. Um, You don't need that level of anxiety. Uh, Let's, let's do some basics. Let's learn the fundamentals and you're going to automatically feel a relief. And I can usually see it lift right off their shoulders because now it's not this foreign thing uh, like a map they don't know how to read it's something they can actually make a little bit of sense of where do you start with them like where do you if, if someone is you know brand new to talking to you and you come in and let's say their comp their company is revenue a hundred five hundred thousand dollars and they're just they're probably at your door because they're a little bit uh, either frustrated or desperate or can't their their time is out the window right Um, they're feeling all those kind of stresses as a business starts to expand Mm -hmm. that they're no longer doing what they're passionate about. And so where do you start with them? Uh, It's funny you should say that. I would love it if clients came to me because they just wanted to increase their financial acumen, but that doesn't happen. (laughs) Not very often. It's usually like a crisis point. Like, I don't know how I'm making payroll this week or pain motivator, pay my bills or I I am not getting paid. Um, I like to start with where they are and the best place is to start with the financial information that they have. So show me what you've got and let's make sense of it. Let's tell you what I see from an objective third party and you tell me what was going on in the business at the same time. So between the two of us, we can have these numbers tell us the story. And usually at that point, we're looking at the profit and loss or income statement. We're looking at the balance sheet. Um, A lot of questions are coming up, a lot of uh, foundational knowledge being built. Um, And the great thing is that once the first question comes out from the entrepreneur, then they just kind of roll off their tongue, but it's almost that permission or uh, acceptance that, okay, I can ask questions and it's okay. I don't need to pretend I know, even though I don't really know. Uh, and I'm going to keep asking. And that's, that's important that you have that curiosity and that you get to the bottom of things because you can't hit your goals in your business unless you know what the numbers are doing. 
Yeah, you know, that's a great point. Um, I feel like you kind of mentioned something in there, like you see the relief come off of people, right? Because again, it's one of those things that um, I kind of feel like the financial side of, uh, of business is probably the least understood, least liked, <laughs> mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and most scary, uh, even though it is obviously one of the most important uh, pieces that I call the six pieces of business, you know, and, um, and, and I can imagine that when someone comes in and they, like you said, they, they feel like they've got permission to say that they don't know how to do it, even though there's no, there's no rhyme or reason to expect them to know how to do it because they're not going to entrepreneurial school, you know, to learn how to read a P and L and a balance sheet. Um, a lot of times. And so, or know how to read it, not only just how to read it or when to read it. Yeah. I mean, I think when I started my business in 2016, I was really good at a couple of things after being a banker. I was good at analyzing statements, analyzing cash flow, making good sound judgments, but I didn't know about all the 50 other things I had to do as an entrepreneur. Um, but I wasn't being shy and not asking. Uh, but there seems to be some kind of stigma around the money piece that uh, precludes people from taking that step. They either ignore it completely or they've delegated it um, completely to a bookkeeper or an accountant and just felt they were going to handle it for them. One of the scariest things for me, so I was a banker in 08, 09, 2010, right? So <laughs> like, great time to be a banker. <laughs> worst time ever to be a banker, right? So, but I, w- I would walk in and I would talk to entrepreneurs and I'd say, um, hello, I'm your business banker and you have some loans that we need to talk about because it was that time of uh, in, in history. And so uh, it was really crazy that I usually knew within like five to 10 minutes of talking about financials, whether this was gonna be a loan that was going bad or the company was probably heading in the wrong direction or whether they had a grip on what was going on and they were trying to make a, at least, even if it wasn't a good plan, they had a plan. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was usually in the fact of when I said, Hey, where are you at this month over last month or this month, this month, this year over last year, this month, like where, if I got a year to date or a month to date, that kind of thing, <laughs> I started talking to them. And that was usually my weed out question because if I asked that and they were like, ah, you know, we're good. And I'm like, no, no, like really, like, where are you? Like what percentage up or down? (laughs) Yes. Give me a dollar figure or percentage. Like, tell me, you know, where you're at. And the ones that did were surprisingly uh, like fine. Like they were, they were okay. Like they knew even with the, like the, like, even if the revenue numbers crashed, they still were okay because they knew they had a grip on their financials and the people that were kind of head in the sand and said, well, I don't know, let me call my accountant and get you a P&L. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh no. Like as soon as they said that, I just knew, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> and so um, and so once you've kind of done that uh, analysis with them to start off and you've got their comfort level down and now they're at least like looking at their financials, um, do you, what do you do from there? Uh, we generally uh, start understanding the cash flow cycle of the business because the cash flow cycles are different across different industries, even different size players in the same industry. So um, we work together and it's a really a transfer of knowledge from me to them because it's coaching. I like to remind them it's not consulting. I'm not doing this for you. Uh, I get them to create a cash flow forecast um, with my assistants. And so really thinking through, okay, when you invoice your client and you deliver this product or service, when do they actually pay you? And let's be honest about it. Is it at delivery? Is it 30 days later? Is it 90 days later? Or 
whenever that person hopefully pays you because you never follow up. Um, and that often is the issue. And um, from there, we create a dashboard with key metrics that I want them to focus on that are specific for their company, specific for the industry, because you can focus on a whole bunch of numbers. And the goal isn't to be drowning in 50 different metrics. You want to pick probably the top five to 10 uh, that are really key. And then from there, we dig into pricing. And that's probably one of my favorite things besides cash flow to talk about, because uh, I would say 80 to 85% of the clients I work with are losing money on everything that goes out the door from a service or product standpoint. And Consequently, they're not making money and they're not getting paid, which creates family strain and all kinds of other strains in their life. Yeah, I'd say um, <laughs> if so, what's the pushback when you tell them that they're either a not charging enough or b they're paying too much for their uh, cost of goods sold? So what do you? So I'm sure they probably like to go back to their vendors more than like try to raise their prices, right? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> I mean, money is such an emotional thing. Our yeah. views form when we are little kids. So five to seven years of age, you've pretty much nailed how you're going to react to money uh, from whatever was going on in your family. And that sticks with you. So if there was yelling, if there was angry talk, angry discussions in your house or a real, you felt the lack of money. Anytime somebody brings up something negative about money, you're going to recoil. You're going to have a pit in your stomach. Like that's just instinct and it's what you've learned. Uh, so it, it comes back to the mindset and you've got to then evaluate what is my mindset? How am I naturally reacting? And then if it's not how I want to, how am I going to change it? And as soon as you ask an entrepreneur to raise their prices, it's, I couldn't do that. I'm not worth that. What are they going to say? And it brings up all of these birth issues. Uh, so it's a very interesting that it is a really emotional and a very charged topic. But it's, it's, it's crazy that you see that as a pattern. Yeah. Right. And so, so. <laughs> um, I talk to people when I've had conversations around this with people, I usually generally try to like put it into something that doesn't scare them so much. So I call it a money story. Mm -hmm. right like what's your money story like how far on your chapters are you you know do you have more chapters like if you want to change it let's rewrite the rest of it like yeah you can't you can't rewrite the beginning but you can rewrite the end of it right absolutely and, so <laughs> and i totally believe that people can change and and learn new behaviors learn new reactions it's not simple um but it can be done if you want to and um for anybody who's thinking about starting a business, if you're listening, for anybody who's in a business and isn't sure it's so key to validate your offer validate who the target client is and is there a match are they willing to pay what you think it's worth if not maybe the product or the service needs to be modified maybe your target client group needs to change doesn't mean you have a bad business but you've got to be looking at the numbers to make sure it's working so then you can modify as need be a lot of people think if i just scale my business it'll work i'll make money but if you're losing on every single thing unless the business is built on kind of a mass production model, which most are not these days, um, you're going to have to make some tweaks to make some money. I don't know why that word is so used today. Well, I do because it's in everybody's pitch, scale your business, scale your business. <laughs> I'm like, don't scale your business, <laughs> make a profit, scale your profits. Like that's that, like I really couldn't care less at the top line of my business was $5 million or 500,000, whichever one brings more in my pocket, lets me sleep at night and pays the bills. That's the one I want, right? And, and so I think a lot of people get overwhelmed with that because it's like they don't need to level up from 
you know, you're just not, unless you're building an app or a software and you have like investors and all that stuff, mm -hmm. like I, I just, it always cracks me up because I see people with very normal businesses like, oh, I need to scale this. And I'm like, no, you don't want to do that. Like you're going to get a massive headache. Yeah, that's uh, probably in my, now. <laughs> in my top five kind of biz money mistakes, only focusing on the top line and not the bottom line is up there because like you said, sell less, make more money, focus on the stuff that brings in better margin and, and work less. Yes. Yeah. And hire less. <laughs> you want my, you want my advice? Hire less because <laughs> there's usually positions in there that uh, are not, I guess I think a lot of people use that as a, as a, um, I don't really want to say scapegoat, but it's more of like a, uh, like if I could fix the business, if I just hired someone to take care of that part, right. Instead of like really diving in and digging in mm -hmm. there. And for me, I think a lot of people, uh, one of the big aha moments for me in my different entrepreneurial journeys and learning to build a business was that the numbers should dictate the business decisions, not the other way around in my mind. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I agree to a certain extent. Um, I think though you shouldn't be just limited to the numbers. So you should understand where you are, what latitude you have based on your cash position, what you've got coming up. Um, but if you think you should offer a new product, use numbers to do some what if scenarios. Um, some people do respond well to um, having tightness and cash flow and it, it focuses them on performing. Um, but you've got to always start with the numbers. And uh, I recommend at at least monthly, you're looking at your numbers. Um, I prefer weekly, I think is a very good cadence because maybe one week you're focused on the results from last month. Maybe the next week you're focused on, okay, which customers are overdue that we've got to collect from. And you can get into a nice rhythm, especially if there's more than one owner in the business, you want to make sure you're definitely on the same page so that one person's not out there spending while the other one's trying to keep things going and, and keep the profit. Yeah, I think that uh, by doing it weekly, um, you can do what entrepreneurs do best, right? Which is find and solve problems. It's kind mm -hmm. of like the, what the main key thing that drives, uh, the 7% of the population that is crazy enough to try these things. Okay. And, uh, if you're doing them weekly, you find problems faster. And if you're defining the problems faster, you can solve them faster and keep the, keep the motions going so they don't build up on you. Absolutely. And I mean, that's the, one of the main benefits of doing cash flow forecasting. If we can look three months out into the future and you see you're going to have a shortfall, we can brainstorm way more options today when we've got three months of lead time um, than if we're the day of and we're not making payroll. Um, there are more people who will be supportive. There are so many more options you can come up with. That, at that point, you can go to your banker and say, hey, things are going well, but we've got tightness in cash flow because of X, Y, Z. Um, can I have an increase in my line of credit to support me through this time? And look, I've got a cash flow forecast that supports uh, when I'm going to repay that. So just way more options, reduces stress. Um, people sleep better. Their health is better. Relationships are better um, when you're, you're solving the issues that really exist versus the issues you think exist. Yeah, no, that's great. I love the idea of doing a cash flow projection. Um, and just to, just to, like I said before, like it, the people that I saw that were successful at least had plans. Like it was just more of that, even if it was wrong, mm -hmm. at least you had one to like guide yourself off of. And you knew if you were off the plan, like what happened and you can adjust to it. But if you don't have any plan and you're just kind of like, well, we'll see what happens. Like that's kind of where you're then, then you're being reactive instead of proactive. Yeah.
You know? So much uncertainty comes with that and it just creates, then it starts taking the entrepreneur's focus away from what they actually do best. And now maybe they're not serving clients as well. Maybe they're not producing as well um, because they're occupied by this thing they're not handling, but it's still damaging other parts of the business. Yeah, that's really well said. Um, I want to, I want to shift a little bit while I'm talking with you and I want to talk about the school of business where you're a professor at, right? And mm -hmm. so what are, what are your insights? So are you in the post-secondary? So it's not just nearly like a college, like it's an MBA type level. Is that with the school of business um, or is it school so business inside of the regular uh, four to five year um, college plan? Yeah, the second. Okay. Uh, so in Canada, we've got colleges and universities. Colleges are a little bit more hands-on. Uh, we're teaching a lot more practical skills. And so I'm working with students who want to become financial planners. Mm. Um, that is their, their end goal. And so I generally either teach like loan structuring, cash flow management, uh, or sales and marketing in the financial services space. Um, and we have a lot of international students. So I have some undergrads who are like typical age, 18 to 22. Um, but I've got graduate students too, who could be ranging from like 20 to 50. Uh, so the age is all over the place. And so they're coming in for a specific skill set at that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, where, because this is a different conversation, but where do you start with them? Is it different than the entrepreneur or is it, uh, how do you, how do you introduce the subject uh, to, to that person that wants to come in to be um, in financial planning, to go in that realm? Well, it's interesting because a lot are new to Canada. They're coming from many other countries. So it's actually an indoctrination into what's Canada's banking system. And it's usually quite different. And so the stuff that they might have, if they grew up in Canada, that they would have just learned along the way, they don't necessarily know. They don't know who are our big banks, how do the ways you go and get a bank account, credit cards, things like that. Um, but just thinking about all students, it's really about um, educating them about things that they care about. And giving them frameworks, I find, is the most useful. So, hey, did you notice that uh, credit card company was set up during orientation week out there on our campus? Um, did anybody get a credit card? Okay, well, what thought process did you go through? Do you understand you need to pay that money back after you use it? Uh, because if not, that can impact your credit score. So now we're opening the concept of credit. Oh, no, I didn't realize. And the research actually shows that uh, post-secondary students come out with two or 3,000 in credit card debt when they're done school and didn't realize they had to pay it back. They thought it was kind of free money. So <laughs> I know it sounds so silly, but that's well, listen, where we have, have to have the conversation. I'm laughing kind of also, not just externally, but internally too, because when I graduated, when I, when I, got, out, when I got out of school, I went to go buy a house a year later after I got out of school and the guy pulled my credit and they were like, Oh, you're like a 780, which is like crazy high credit score for a 22, 23 mm -hmm. year old. And they were like, I'm like, really? I'm like, why? They're like, well, it looks like you have like eight credit cards and zero, <laughs> zero debt. And I was like, Oh, uh, that's cool. I'm like, and I was thinking about it. I was like, I got, I used to get them for t-shirts. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? They'd come on the campus and then give you this, you know. Or at sporting $10. events. Yeah. I'd go to the football game. There'd be a $10 t-shirt. They'd give me that for free and I'd sign up for a credit card. Luckily for me, I never used them. Like they just came in the mail. I just threw them out. <laughs> or, I think uh, <laughs> given today's economy, more people are using them because they need to, yeah. um, but not understanding. So yours is a perfect example of like the best way it could possibly go. Cause I do, I don't think debt is a bad thing. I think it's all in how you use debt, but you need to understand how it works, how you need to operate responsibly with it and then what it can actually do for you. 
Yeah, I didn't go any through. I didn't go through any of those thought processes. That was what I was kind of <laughs> laughing at. You're like, "What was your thought process?" And I was thinking in my head, it was like free T-shirt, but that was about it. So, uh, and, as a, and, and, totally and as a finance, yeah, and as a finance major, so <laughs> that's now teaching about financial education. So I'm I, I totally understand the the uh, lack of thought process in there, and I think it's kind of funny that that's where you start with with them. And I imagine that well, you get a lot of blank stares, like what was your thought process? And they're just kind of like, what do you mean? <laughs> and um, I hear things like before, it's, it's harder online because people aren't having the same chit chats, but in class, like I'll hear people saying things to each other and I'm like, what? Like I, I've heard more than one, on more than one occasion, people asking someone else to co-sign the car loan with them. I'm like, whoa, whoa, yeah, in class. I'm like, no guys, no. Do, do you know what that means? Let's talk about what that means. You're on the hook if that person stops paying. And they're like, well, I don't want to do that. And I'm like, that's why you don't just sign up for these things. You have to understand what's going to go on. And, and then I've had students come to me kind of at the break or after class, like, miss, um, my friend, she had a boyfriend and she signed with him for this loan. And now he's broken up with her. And now the bank is chasing her. Can they do that? And I'm like, absolutely. She signed it. Well, she didn't know. I'm like, nobody cares about that part right now. So you just don't sign up for legal things without understanding your your rights, your responsibilities, and what would be like kind of the worst case scenario. It just needs to be in our schools. Or it needs to be in our high schools so bad. <laughs> but unfortunately, I can't move curriculum. So hopefully on my little part, what I can do is I can bring people like yourself so the parents can have these, mm -hmm. this in their head. Because in their head, they're like, oh, no, I'd never do that. You're like, you have financial advisors <laughs> in your, your training that are probably the most in the upper echelon of financial astuteness of students and they're still this clueless about stuff so it's like yeah. just really i want people to realize that they to they don't need to be a financial expert to have the conversations with your kids and to have the conversation with young people just the things that you would consider common knowledge are the things that you can help them with because those are what the ones that they're going to the the predators and i, I can't feel bad saying predators the companies that are geared to make money by collecting interest are out to sell their products and it's like any other product like you know if someone said here here's a uh i want to sell you a pair of airpods and i'm gonna sell them to you for four thousand dollars but you can finance them for 20 bucks a month you'd be like i'm not paying four thousand dollars for airpods because you know that you can go get airpods for 150 bucks mm -hmm. but if you don't know that with credit cards that you're going to pay nine times the value of what you're paying for if you make minimum payments then the, it seems like free money yeah. So it's very rare, like when I'm talking to people or even on my own podcast, do I tell people exactly what to do? I will have my view. I will try to give them questions to ask themselves. Um, but sometimes I, I do, you kind of have to <laughs> at some point. So, I mean, I firmly believe financial fitness, financial literacy, it's a fundamental life skill and your life definitely changes um, depending on what you know. But it, I think the first step is just opening the dialogue even if um, as a parent, you don't feel comfortable um, and you don't know the answers, that's okay. Hey, what are your kids, or your, your classmates doing? What are people talking about? Hey, I, I saw this thing on the news. Is that something that you guys talk about or are any people using payday loans? Like depending on the age of the child, but I don't think it's ever too young to start talking about money. There's always lessons at every age and you can incorporate your real life into it. Well, that's what, I mean, that's how I ended up on the name Money Talkers, right? Because it, for me, um, uh, it was just the act of doing it that was kind of what we talked about earlier. Like, it's that permission, like, to mm -hmm. like, I don't know, or I'm a business owner, like, I'm running a company with 10 people, and I don't want to tell them I don't know how to read a financial statement, right? Like, 
it's kind of the same thing as a parent. They have this anxiety that builds up and it's like, I don't want to talk to my kids about money because they're going to, A, maybe I expose what I'm doing wrong and I have to change mm-hmm. my way. I have to change my ways, right? <laughs> <laughs> I have to rewrite our money story because I've been telling a bad one. Um, or, uh, you know, the, the, to me, it's just opening that relationship, right? That, that conversation so that when you, the younger the kids are that you can talk to them, the better because when they go out in the world and it's not set up for them to win, they have some, they have their own coach they can mm-hmm. go to. If you just absolutely refuse to re- breach the subject or talk about it, then they're going to go out and play the game with no coach. For right. Sure. And then when the game gets bigger and bigger, like, should I buy this? Should I co-sign for that? Right. That girl, you know, <laughs> should I co-sign with my boyfriend? Like if you had been talking to her about just general finances for five or six years, she probably might ask you before she did it. You know, yeah, or even mentioned it to her friend. So her yeah. friend could have been like, um, I think it's a bad thing, but let's go ask my professor. Let's, let's yeah, see. let's get somebody involved in this <laughs> idea. Right. And so, um, but it's just, I think that it's just really opening up that relationship. And I think for parents, like if it, you have the anxiety to like, not want to talk about it, just think about the anxiety of finding out the decisions they make without talking to you about it later in life. Oh, yeah. And I think that it- has to be a bigger why. And there's so many positive money discussions to have as well. Like um, not a lot of people know that scholarships that are out there, like very few students apply. That's free money. Um, And I just launched a scholarship this year and I had to do a lot to get people to apply. Um, And so we don't always have to talk about negative stuff. Like, Hey, did you know if you, if you showcase your skills and and you put them in this nice letter, you can win free money, which means you don't have to work as hard or have um, as much student debt. Um, Let's talk about stuff like that too. Um, Just to showcase all of the things that are out there and teach the questioning about evaluating things. I think we talked a little bit offline and like what happened to me, like when I found out about compound interest, I was like, what? This is crazy. (laughs) Like, are you kidding me? And then like, uh, and you know, that you could put from a 16 year old, you could put 40 bucks a month away till you're 76 and have almost $2 million. Like what? Like, you know, you put 30 grand in and you learn how to multiply to 2 million. Like, how does that work? So I, there are a lot of great things you can talk about in these things too. Uh, I agree with you hundred percent. I don't mean to come across on the negative side of it Mm -hmm. only. It's just, but I really, um, that's the fun part about it for me. When I talk about it being the game, it's just the game of life, right? And then it's the game yeah. of money life. And so if you know the rules and you have a coach, you're a whole lot more likely to be better in the game than if you've never played before and you're going to play against a team that's got, uh, you know, 100 years worth of coaching and skill sets and team building and you're going to go play them. And that's kind of how it is if you don't have any conversations or build up or build a team to go out there and go, out, go, go play the money game. But the fun part about it is, is that you're in competition with so many other people out there that if you know the rules and play the game right, you're much more likely to come out very far ahead, especially if you can do it as a young person. Mm-hmm, for sure. And- they have these long trajectories, you know? Like I was really fortunate my, in my household, we had a lot of open conversations about money. Um, and there was conversations around, okay, we, we don't have money for that thing you want to do. Cause we think it's silly or whatever, like go to the store and get some snacks um, versus yes, we have money for that. And even when I wanted to buy something that was a little bit bigger, my parents would say, okay, you have to save up half Tracy. You want that yeah. tennis racket? Okay. You save up half and we'll see if you really want it at that point. And then we'll, we'll pitch in the rest. And um, I had the gift of compound interest. My parents helped me start um, 
retirement savings at 18. So we were putting 25 a month for all that time and best present ever, uh, knowing that. um, And just, it wasn't tons of money and I didn't always have it myself, um, but just being able to do it. And um, the thing I see too with my students is if they're in open discussions at home, it allows them to have those open discussions with friends yes. um, and other people. So it can really impact a lot of people and we can actually change society and everybody's economic future when we're talking about it. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more about that. Like I had gone through some pretty crazy stories about with my own financial life. And when I started talking about it, even though like my situation was so much worse than anybody else's I was talking to, one, I felt a lot better and I felt like I could control it. And then two, they would start talking about their things, even though it wasn't as bad as mine. Um, mm-hmm. It was, but they were like talking to me about their things. And it was like, okay, now we can start open conversations. Right. And, then, and I found the people in my life that uh, I have talked to since growing up and have kept close friends with, like, we have no problem talking about things. Those, those people have been much more successful. And the ones that opened up later, they started seeing more success because it was just, you're, you're talking about a tool. You know, and it's like, it, so I, I really, I really agree with that, that you can have a major impact. And so teaching younger people such as you do at the hospital, at the, at the college level, um, it, they, I feel like they don't have the restrictions, whether financially yet, um, stress level yet, uh, you know, they don't have the debt the burden yet. They don't have the family, um, you know, to consider a lot of times yet. Mm-hmm. And that they can go out and solve bigger problems, which means they're going to have bigger successes. Yeah. And I always tell them like, why make a mistake that I've made or someone else I know has made, make some different ones. Um, Start off making as few as you can, you know, you're going to make them though. And that's, what's perfectly normal. Don't beat yourself up, cut yourself some slack, get back on track. Um, But you don't need to make the ones that I made. (laughs) My kids know that you either, you either succeeded or you learned. There's no yeah. fail. And the only time you fail is if you refuse to learn from what you did. And you repeat it again. again. <laughs> <laughs> Which we've all done, but you can't beat yourself up over it. You just got to be, it's, it's like anything else you were talking about earlier. Like it's more of just being aware of it mm-hmm. and being okay to go and attack it than being afraid of it and just putting it in a corner and not talking about it. Right. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Um, what are, uh, what are some of the things that you're, you're seeing um, their kids have some of the biggest aha moments when you're doing this kind of uh, program? Um, some of the questions that I get, um, we talk about a lot of different things that are on the periphery of money, but um, because some people will have careers, some will be entrepreneurs, I get a lot of questions even about like HR type things, like negotiating salary, how, what happens if I get terminated? So you can really see the breadth of how money passes. Um, lots of interest all the time in passive income. Um, but uh, not necessarily understanding that it does take work first to be able to generate passive income. Um, But I love that the thought is there because um, that would have been something I would have loved to be more in tune with when I was younger. Um, What could I be doing on the side? What could I be doing to have those multiple streams of income so that when something like COVID hits, I don't have to be as concerned about one particular thing. Um, so I think that's great. And I just, I, I love the curiosity. That's so I love that they're, yeah, I love that they're asking about those things because I talked to somebody and we were talking about, you know, what we learned in school. And I'm like, I really hadn't had, I hadn't in <laughs> high school. was like, I didn't even know that I didn't know how all this stuff works. Like just wasn't even, it was never a subject that was brought up. 
And now I read something that on Experian, they surveyed Generation Z who's in school still now. And they're like 78% of them want financial uh, education. And I was like, I didn't even know what financial education was. So I know. <laughs> I'm like, that's an amazing, like uh, it's an amazing um, shift. You know, yeah, so I was that- um, at a speaking event in January at a high school and it was all the grades and um, started at grade seven at that school high school. Um, a grade seven student, he asked me um, about good debt. I'm like, what? (laughs) I I went and talked to him later. I'm like, did someone feed you that question? He's like, no, I watched the news and I wanted to find out good debt versus bad debt. I'm like, that is phenomenal. Yes. Like, congratulations that you know, those two things exist. Yeah. You're about, (laughs) you're about to win in this big game. You're about to go play. You're, you're right foot buddy. Yeah. No, that's, um, that's, it's a, it's a really, good encouraging sign. yeah it's encouraging you know because always all, all the um generations throughout the years you know uh everyone's kind of gets to the older side they look like oh these young guys they don't know anything or you know they don't know what they're doing like i think about the millennials they got beat up more than anybody <laughs> <laughs> i'm like right on that verge so i was like out of there but i was like yeah those millennials you know but uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know they got they got uh, the brunt of it and so i think it's kind of crazy that gen z now is on a flip side of that and um they're in the self-education world you know mm-hmm. and so i think that they're used to that's like the the YouTube programming where you know the thing will pop up and they'll start talking about money or debt and you can start going down that hill and it's like okay well I can just collect all this information I may not know what to do with it or whatever but they're they're reading it and hearing it and seeing it and knowing they want to learn about it and I think that's really cool. Yeah, it's exciting. So, well, listen, I want to thank you for coming on with us. Um, we're gonna do the uh, we're gonna do the high impact series next, but I didn't know if there was any one last thoughts you wanted to leave with the Money Talkers audience. Well, I've been talking so much about how important it is to review your numbers as an entrepreneur. Uh, So I did have a gift for your audience so they could get started today. And it's a money meeting agenda. Uh, So they can download that at cashcoach.biz. And even if your first meeting is just sitting down to look at the agenda and figuring out what you're going to do in meeting two, carve out that 30 minutes in your schedule at least monthly, but uh, weekly would be ideal. So download money meeting agenda at cashcoach.biz. And my, my final thought is really just don't be too hard on yourself open your mind uh, to the numbers, whether it's personally or in your business, and you're going to be really happy that you did open the dialogue and um, you'll, you'll move forward on your financial fitness journey. Agreed. It's a, uh, it's a lot easier if you're talking about it. <laughs> it's supposed it doesn't go away. <laughs> so I want to thank you for that. I'll put a link into the uh, show notes for this as well. So cashcoach.biz and get the money meeting agenda. Thank you, Tracy. I appreciate you coming on Money Talkers. Thanks so much, Cody. Thank you for listening to another episode of Money Talkers with me, your host, Cody Laughlin. If you found this episode helpful in your pursuit of financial dominance, it really helps if you make sure to leave a five-star rating and share it with your friends or family members who could use good financial information and entrepreneurial success tips. I invite you to join the Money Talkers community Facebook group. Open Facebook and search for Money Talkers to join today. Follow us on Instagram at The Money Talkers for inspirational mindset posts, encouragement, and investing tips. And remember, the one thing you can do to change your kids' financial future is to start talking about money with them because you are a money talker.